what's going on everybody and welcome in to another edition of be shape daily brendan schaefer here with you evening hours of thursday february 16th 2023 still live here from jupiter florida as cardinal spring training underway this week spent a lot of fun i've got just really one day left before then saturday i begin my trek back to st louis that glorious well 17 to 20 hour drive i think is the range of outcomes on that one when i leave the house gps says 17 hours but you know a few different things happen along the way for one there are multiple buckies along the route and so i got to stop at both of them and typically for about 20 to 30 minutes each because i love buckies if you haven't had buckies before Make sure you get to one on a road trip sometime soon. Love me some Buckies. The other thing that happens, though, is traffic. It's going to rain consistently between, like, Chattanooga and right right north of Atlanta. It's going to rain. I don't know if it's ever not rained in between those two cities, but, uh, yeah, it just seems like that's the way it goes for me uh, on the spring training trip. But nevertheless, still got Friday to look forward to, and uh, it's been a really fun week. It's been a lot of standing around in the Florida sun watching baseball, and you can't really ask for much more than that. So appreciate you guys for joining along the ride with me this week. And, of course, with B-Shape Daily, uh, we're in Season 3 now. A couple of days ago, I think I made that proclamation that uh, when we start spring training episodes, that's the new season of B-Shape Daily, and this will be really the third year of us going uh, full bore with this thing and hopefully bigger and better than ever this year. So follow along on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Make sure you're locked and loaded. And hey, check out patreon.com slash bshafer12 if you would like to support the show. All right, on today's show, we're going to talk about a couple of pitchers in their arbitration cases because that's news that uh, is going around uh, across baseball now with different guys having those hearings here during spring training. Uh, We're going to talk about uh, one non-cardinal. That's Corbin Burns because he had his arbitration case with the Milwaukee Brewers and vocally was not happy about the way that turned out. Ryan Helsley, according to reports tonight, has had the result of his case as well. Cardinals closer and Cardinals fans should hope that Ryan Helsley is not nearly as upset about the process as Corbin Burns. That's all I've got to say. But no, we'll get into that a little bit more and talk about uh, one group. At Actually, it was... Nah, what day is it? Thursday? So I'm talking about Wednesday, the fielding groups for the pitchers. I may have mentioned it briefly on yesterday's episode, but I want to get into it a little bit further. Adam Wainwright was grouped with two young pitching prospects that I think all the signs are pointing in the direction of the Cardinals having expectations for these two guys, potentially as early as 2023. I'm not saying the opening day roster, but I'm saying... Keep an eye on these guys because if you're if you, if you've been reading the tea leaves, um, it's it's pretty clear that the Cardinals have high hopes for both of them. So we'll talk a little bit about that as well. But before we do all that, I want to start somewhere a little more somber, but I'm going to make it fun. I promise. Uh, Tim McCarver, former big league catcher, two-time World Series champion, big league broadcaster, was partner with Joe Buck for years and years calling World Series, and then, of course, finished up his career on the Cardinals broadcast with Dan McLaughlin, and uh, Tim was the color commentator. 
passed away today due to heart failure. A treasure, a true titan within baseball, honestly. And uh, he will be so very missed. But I wanted to play this clip that uh, producer Chris Gardner, former producer, current doorman, and uh, former senatorial candidate in the state of Missouri, actually. He got a couple thousand votes tattooed it on his body. But no, Chris Gardner, back when I worked at 590 The Fan, and the radio show was uh, with Martin Kilcoyne, Charlie Marlowe, and Chris was the producer, I was the board operator. A lot of times, those guys always got a kick out of Tim and the different little anecdotes he would tell on the Cardinals telecast. And Dan McLaughlin was always so good about sort of uh, dropping a little bit of intrigue into it and and, and keep, like he's keeping my interest. So I'm just going to kind of let Tim do his thing. And it would go off the rails sometimes, but it was always so very entertaining. Uh, I really did enjoy Tim. I know some people would say, oh, you know, toward the end, Tim McCarver uh, wasn't giving me enough baseball insight on my broadcast. I don't like, you know, I didn't really enjoy that. I couldn't disagree more with those people. I always found Tim McCarver on the, the Cardinals broadcast to be an absolute delight. And so I wanted to play this clip for you uh, that I just, I can't help but laugh. And it's just the randomness of this about 90-second clip of Tim McCarver. It's truly, I listened to it probably five or six times today because it is one of the funniest things I've ever heard on a baseball broadcast, just the whole sequence. So I wanted to play that for you guys uh, to, to remember Tim McCarver, a uh, wonderful baseball man. And then we'll dive into a little bit of conversation about Corbin Burns, Ryan Hilsley. So here's this uh, from a Cardinals telecast. Don't even know when it was, but... Uh, a few years ago, back when Tim and Dan were on the call. I was in a clothes slump in 1967. I said, Orlando, I hate my clothes. He said, why don't you go to my tailor? And I said, okay. I didn't even know you had a tailor. He's out in Clayton. So I went to his tailor, and it felt like a new man after about a month and a half. A clothes slump. I was in a clothes slump. Hated my clothes. You know, you get just tired of your clothes sometimes. Oh, yeah. A slump buster would be this right here. You get the old school wrestling championship belt t-shirt. My grandmother was a great wrestling fan, and she used to love the belts that Luthez wore. You remember Luthez the wrestler? Yeah. I think he might have been from St. Louis. Anyway, that could break my slump. So even your ties were in the clothes slump? Everything was. Suits? Yes. All of it. I had a Nehru suit then that looked horrible on me. You remember Nehru suit? No. Well, I'm a little older. Back in the late 60s, Nehru suits became very popular. Sweat like a goose in these things. Really? Because <laughs> you had to button up the top button like they do in India. Uh-huh. Yeah. Orlando's tailor helped me out. Helped me break that close slump I was in. I had never heard of that. But over the years, there's a lot of things you've taught me about the game and in life. Well, thank you. Thank you. Luthez was not from St. Louis, but he was born in Michigan. Owen won the count. Runners at first and third. That is just absolutely a classic. I uh, I was laughing so hard throughout that. Thought you guys would enjoy it. I hope you did. Uh, rest in peace, Tim McCarver. He will be missed, certainly. Uh, I just love that dynamic of the randomness of the things that he would come up with. He's done it all. He's seen it all. That was what Tim brought to uh, the Cardinals broadcast that really like when, when you saw Tim McCarver for all those years doing world series games with Joe Buck, it had to be a different 
vibe, right? Because it's a World Series. You've got two teams that, you know, the broadcasters are not affiliated with either team. It's two, two different teams each year. You have to be neutral. You have to take it serious. It's a, you know, it's a different setting. I really thought that when Tim McCarver was doing Cardinals games there uh, for a number of years, it, you got to see a different side of him. And I, I thought he was just a delight. So hope you guys enjoyed that as much as I did. Rest in peace to Tim McCarver, indeed. Let's go ahead, though, now and hop into a little bit of baseball conversation because, well, these arbitration hearings are uh, a little tricky, aren't they? Corbin Burns and the Milwaukee Brewers. Not a great situation. Uh, The headlines, yeah, the Brewers did some damage in this one. We talk about these arbitration hearings. We we hear all the time that, well, it's a business. Don't take it to, to heart. Don't take it too personally. That's just not realistic, to be honest. Like, especially when you realize what goes on in these arbitration hearings. It's like you're in a court case. The player against the team. The player saying, hey, here are my accomplishments. Here's what I believe I deserve to be paid as a result. And the team, basically, with their, you know, their their lawyers, their argument is, well, you're not as good as you think you are, and here's why you don't deserve the compensation that you think you do. The team that you pitch for, that you play for, is making that case against you in order to pay you less. And if they win, right, we've seen uh, the notion of how those are celebrated across baseball, right? to have salaries be suppressed for players because if if one team's winning those arb cases against their players, then, you know, that's just better for the overall market, the precedent that it sets. Uh, I'm trying to remember back what year it was when there was uh, the notion of, like, at these owners' meetings, like a, a championship belt was awarded to the team that did the best job in arbitration in terms of uh, winning the cases against their players. I'm looking this up now. Storyline from spring training 2019. MLB reportedly awards championship belt to team that keeps salaries lowest in arbitration. That was the headline going on in Major League Baseball a few seasons ago, originally reported by The Athletic. Yeah, kind of a jokey thing, right? It's a $20 WWE mock belt that they were awarding. MLB told The Athletic that the belt is, quote, an informal recognition of those clubs' salary arbitration departments that did the best. Okay. But what is this actually measuring, right? And they don't do this anymore. Once that got out, I think they put the kibosh on that. But, I mean, what are we measuring here? We're measuring... How little can we pay the players that, in many cases, are some of the most notable contributors to our teams, right? They're guys who have had at least three years of service time, and they're still climbing up the pay scale. We thought enough of them to tender a contract, right? These aren't guys who are on the the non-tender list. No, they're progressing in their careers, and as such should be compensated more and more with each year because in the way that baseball contracts work, the teams have it pretty good in those early years, don't they? 
heck, you draft a guy, he might be in the minor leagues for four, five, six years. The number before you add them to the 40-man roster is five years. That's why we have the Rule 5 draft. But you can always add a guy to the 40-man roster and then not call him up, right? You get three option years after that. So theoretically, you're talking seven, eight years of team control before a guy really starts accumulating service time necessarily. And then you're telling me three years before they get any hand in their salary through the arbitration system. And then three more years beyond that before you are eligible for free agency. And so teams have it pretty good. But this arbitration thing is messed up, man. I really do think that this is a system that we will see. I don't know if I can say in the next couple of years change. Obviously, it's a CBA-related thing. But over the next one to two collective bargaining agreements, I bet you see a drastic change in the way this system works because, I mean, at least the players, I think, would maybe recognize that, that it could use a change from their end. Ownership probably likes the way things are working. I don't really know how you can have a system that takes a look at Corbin Burns of the Milwaukee Brewers who want to Cy Young, not this past year, but the year before that. This past year, he's pretty darn good. 12-8 and record. Who cares about that, though? Let's get to the good stuff. 2.94 ERA, 33 starts. You know, sub-3 ERA, took the ball more times than he did in his Cy Young season. I mean, this guy... 202 innings pitched, led the league in strikeouts at 243. He was great last year for the Milwaukee Brewers. Without him, they would have been uh, even further down those standings, right? He was a Cy Young winner. And in his arbitration case, the Brewers end up coming out ahead, but they gain, what did they gain? $750,000 was the difference between what, Corbin Burns and his representation filed and said that he should earn for the season salary and what the team said he should earn. And of course, those two arguments were made and an independent arbitration panel decides which number is the most fair for the salary. They got to pick one or the other. Corbin Burns, though, I think he would have liked to have seen that situation settled before it got to the point of a hearing. But as he describes it, and I'm going to play the audio for you here, really I've got a couple of clips from out there at Milwaukee Brewers Camp in Arizona that I'd like to play because I think it's relevant. And then tomorrow might be a day where we hear from Ryan Hillsley on this situation. Not 100% sure on that, but uh, I'm sure if he's around, that's, that's a topic people are going to want to ask him about. But this feels pretty relevant to those interests, so I, I want to go ahead and, and play this for you guys because Corbin Burns is a star in the National League. Star in the National League Central, Cy Young Award winner, one of the best pitchers in baseball, and he's got his team haggling over the difference between $10 million and $10.75 million this season. Uh, this is from Todd Rosiak, this audio courtesy of Todd Rosiak, who covers the Brewers for the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel. Corbin Burns on his thoughts from the arbitration hearing that he lost today against the Brewers. came out is more that we are just kind of disappointed with how it went. Um... You know, the Brewers never really made real attempt to, to try to come to a deal to avoid a hearing, um, at least from our perspective. You know, I heard heard the comments yesterday, but, um, you know, from our end, just never really made that, that solid attempt to try to, you know, avoid a hearing. Um, and even even up until, you know, the days before, um, there were some phone calls back and forth, and basically it just came out that, 
we uh, we're gonna end up going to hearing. I mean, that's that was kind of how how it ended. Um, I think we saw from from the deadline day that we were gonna end up at a hearing, um, just with the the lack of the attempts to to get a deal done. Um, so that's unfortunate that it ended up that way. Um, and then the the hearing itself is obviously another story, um, which we can dig into if you guys want. But um, it's just one of those things that just at the end of the day it was just kind of very eye opening. Um, you learn your true value in the organization, um, and um, it's just kind of at the end of the day, it's disappointing. But um, you know, you got to get past it, and and um, obviously the focus is playing baseball and going out and doing what I can for the teammates and for the fans. Now Burns talked about, yeah, you got to move on, get past it, and play baseball. But he also said in there that, yeah, I'm willing to talk about it with you guys if you want, if you want to delve further into what happened with the hearing, and and they indeed did do that. But I want to react a little bit first to what he said about the idea that the Brewers, man, once that filing date happened, that deadline day, which was back, I want to say December, might have been January. I should probably know this, but I apologize for not bothering to look it up. But, you know, it was however many weeks ago that, I think it was January, that they had to either figure out an agreement on a salary or you reach that deadline, both sides need to submit the number that would ultimately be argued in the hearing. And you could still settle between the deadline day and the hearing date, but a lot of teams don't do that. The Cardinals are one of the teams that doesn't really do that anymore. They've gone to what's kind of known as a file and trial approach, where if you file the arbitration numbers, you're not negotiating any longer to settle. You're going to the hearing. And that's sort of what the Cardinals have adopted over the, the recent years, last few years. Uh, remember last year, the MLB lockout obviously happened, and so that delayed the schedule for all of these things. So instead of happening before the season in spring training, these hearings were bleeding into the season. Tyler O'Neill was one of the guys for whom that happened, and he has since talked about how that did have an impact on him trying to focus on all of this off-the-field stuff that's happening, uncertainty over what your livelihood, your salary is going to be. It impacted him on the field. That's something that he has acknowledged. And of course, Tyler was one of the guys that on that deadline day made sure that his situation was resolved. No hearing for him this year because he just didn't want to deal with it. But it is like an angsty sort of thing and and understandably so for players. And it's even more so made that way by, you know, the situation Corbin Burns described where it's like, I would have been happy to try to settle this thing, but it's like they had made the decision we weren't going to do that. We were going to go to court over 750000 essentially. I mean, that's what it's the equivalent of doing. And so people say, oh, my goodness, why would you do that over 750000 And my initial response to that is, folks, I have seen numerous examples of the number being less than that. I mean, sometimes it's less than half a million, less than 250000 And to me... This may just be an off-the-wall comment, but I sort of feel like the cutting-edge organization in baseball would be the one that says, we're not going to do this. Like, we're not going to allow it to get to this point for our players because we want to have these guys understand that they're valued, have these guys understand that they are an important part of what we're looking to do here. And that, theoretically, it, it would stand reason, right, that it would be good for team morale to do it that way. But that is just not the, you know, it's a business. We talk about it's a business. Well, that's not the business of baseball at this point. The business of baseball at this point is to do it for the, you know, in the same way that they have done it, which is this arbitration system. And teams 
Again, they might not be awarding the championship belt any longer, but certainly uh, it it benefits the owners across the game, front offices across the game, to have the ledger stand out that, yeah, the, the teams are winning more of these hearings than the players. And I don't know what the final tally is or will be in terms of which side has been more successful this year or in a given year. But certainly in Corbin Burns' case, I mean... It just kind of boggles the mind. I guess if you're the team, it makes perfect sense. It's, there's no emotion in it. You're just saying, hey, I want to pay this guy less because it's better for, for us, for our bottom line. But is it? At the end of the day, is it better if you have now effectively alienated that player? And you might say, well, Corbin Burns, he might be upset now, but he's he, the Brewers did not alienate him. Everything's going to be fine. Okay, that might be true. But remember what I said and what Corbin Burns said. If uh, you guys want to talk about this a little more, we can. I can dive into what happened with the hearing. And so Corbin Burns did exactly that. This is from Adam McCalvey, covers the Brewers for MLB.com. He tweeted out this video of the same media availability that Corbin Burns had out at Brewers camp. And this one's perhaps even more eye-opening than the first one. It's a couple minutes long. Give it a listen, though. Uh, Pretty interesting stuff here from Corbin Burns. At the hearing, flew in the night before. Um, Had the hearing all day Tuesday. Um, spent Valentine's Day on a plane, um, got home at you know, 10, 11 o'clock and, and got to see my wife before she fell asleep. So that was kind of how the Valentine's Day went. So that was, that was fun. But um, yeah, like I say, you, you kind of find out your true value. Um, you think you, you work hard for seven years in the organization and five years with the, with the big league team. And um, you get in there and basically they, they value you much different than what you thought you'd, you contributed to the organization. Um, and it's just, you know, it's, Obviously, it's tough to hear, it's tough to take, but you know they're trying to do what they can to win a hearing. Um, but I think there was obviously other ways that they, they could have gone about it, um, and um, probably been a little more respectful with the, with the way they went about it. But um, you know, at, at the end of the day, here we are. Um, you know, they they obviously they won it, um, but it, it, when it came down to to winning or losing the hearing, it was it was more than that for me. Corbin, this is everyone's fear for a player, especially a star player, going to a hearing that it creates just some maybe. Not bad blood, but just some hard feelings that weren't there before. Um, how, how do you guys repair that? Yeah, I mean, there's there, there's no denying that the relationship is definitely definitely hurt from um, you know what what perspired over the last couple of weeks. Um, yeah, there's, there's there's really no way of getting around that. Um, obviously, we're, we're we're professionals, and we're going to go out there and, and do our job, and I'm going to keep giving what I can every five, every fifth day that I go out there. But um, you know, when some of the things that are said that. Um, you know, for instance, basically, basically put me in the forefront of, of the reason why we didn't make the postseason last year. That, I mean, that's something that probably doesn't need to be said. You know, we can go go about a hearing without having to do that. Um, so that's kind of one of those things that, you know, obviously, you know, they, there was no attacking of, of character, of, you know, person of who I was, but um, just the just the some of the stuff that was said that you know definitely didn't need to be um, said is, is is something that you know I think kind of disappointed everyone. Are you guys hearing it the same way that I did? from Corbin Burns, where he says basically what the Brewers did is they put me in the forefront of the reasons we didn't make the playoffs last year. That's the way they went about it and approached the hearing. Are you kidding me? Milwaukee Brewers, are you serious with that? That's an absolute joke, man. Corbin Burns, again, I rattled off the stats for you. Forget win-loss record because, it, I mean, he's 12-8, and eight, still fine record. But it's like he, there are things beyond his control that go into a, a pitcher's win-loss record. 
How about 2.94 ERA? How about over 200 innings pitched? How about led the league in strikeouts? How about, I mean, what more do you want? And if you want to haggle over the 750 grand, because that's still a significant amount of money, obviously, then fine. But this is a risk you run when you do that. It's a risk you run that players are going to have a reaction to that because guess what? They're human. And it doesn't feel so good to be so woefully disregarded in terms of how you're valued as a person and contributor to the organization when you're the team's best damn player in Corbin Burns. I mean, that is crazy to me. Corbin Burns is not going to be a brewer for long. You know, they might as well trade him now because he's not re-signing with them. There's no way. You heard those videos. You heard his comments. I don't think there's any way. Well, Ryan Helsley, it was reported earlier Thursday night, lost his arbitration case as well. His first arbitration-eligible season, so Helsley is going to make $2.15 million this season. Helsley's side filed for $3 million. Cardinals end up getting the win over Helsley. That's a difference of 850000 and one arbitration case remaining for the Cardinals uh, is Genesis Cabrera. I think that one might be tomorrow. I'm not 100% sure on that, but it's coming soon for Cabby and his hearing. I mean, come on, man. What did Ryan Helsley need to do, right? They might say, okay, Ryan Helsley misjudged his market value and said, I, I think I should make three mil. Or his, it's not Helsley really doing it. It's his agent, right? I'm sure there's some collaboration there, but there are a lot of guys, and Helsley really was one of them, where he said, I, I let the agent handle that. I'm not, I'm not trying to get too deep into the weeds on this because I don't want it to affect my ability to perform, which, of course, you don't want it to, but it's natural that it might. It's natural that it would have that sort of effect if it lingers into the season like it did for Tyler O'Neill last year. That just wasn't a fair situation, man. There's a lockout that caused it, but that sucks. You, you can't be playing in the middle of a season that way. At least this year, it's going to be all wrapped up before the season begins, but it's still just kind of an ugly situation, right? It, not necessarily bad blood, like the reporter asking Burns about it. Eh, I don't know if it's bad blood, but it's there's some murkiness that wasn't there before, and it's understandable. In the case of Helsley, like, what do the Cardinals do in that hearing? Does Helsley have some of those same thoughts? I hope not. For the Cardinals' sake, for Helsley's sake, because I don't want to see him go through that. But it can be uncomfortable, and I I don't know. I don't know what the Cardinals said. We know what the Brewers said because Corbin Burns was so fed up with it that he talked about it pretty openly, which I applaud him for doing. In the case of Helsley, you know, did the Cardinals say, well, you know, he, he was really good for us, but had that finger issue and didn't tell us he was hurt, so... That cost us the NLCS, or I should say the uh, wildcard series. Did they make that argument? I'm not saying they did. I don't know that they did. But you could kind of see the way this works, right? That it it's a system that naturally pits teams against the players and calls upon teams to find those angles, right? Like if I'm a lawyer for the Cardinals or one of the, the folks in charge of, of building their argument, I'm saying... Yeah, that's going on my list. So I don't know what the Cardinals used. I don't know what they did, but they won They won the case. We know that. We'll see Friday if we get a chance to ask Kelsey about, about the process. And I, if I were him, I wouldn't really blame him for just not wanting to talk about it. 
probably an unpleasant experience. But in the case of Corbin Burns, a little more veteran player, right? He's been through the arbitration process before this year and clearly uh, had a bone to pick and said, hey, I got nothing to lose. I already lost the 750K. I am going to speak my mind about it as well he should. And so we'll see what Helsley wants to do about it, but I would respect either way uh, the direction that he wants to go in terms of willingness to discuss. Uncomfortable though, right? It really is. Let me know what your thoughts are. At Schaefer 12 on Twitter. You can shoot me a direct message. I love to uh, hear from you guys. Another way that you can interact, if you've got questions or comments about the topics on the show, uh, shoot me a, a voicemail. You can do that on Shafe Daily. Anchor.fm slash bshafer12 slash message. And when you go there, click the uh, record button and you'll be recording directly to me. It'll get sent to me and I can then uh, post it in a future episode of the podcast and you'll hear your voice. So that's kind of cool. Once again, that's anchor.fm slash bshafer12. Just like the Twitter handle slash message added on to the end of that URL. So if you're interested in doing that, go ahead. Otherwise, shoot me a message. Love to hear from you guys. Interesting. We'll see, like I said, what we uh, what we get from Helsley, if anything, on Friday. But definitely an uncomfortable situation. And then Cabrera's will be the last one the Cardinals have to deal with for this year. But enough about that. Before we get out of here, I wanted to talk about the little groups that were at Cardinals camp yesterday in terms of the pitchers doing their fielding practice. Who is running drills with whom, right? Who is together in a group, rubbing shoulders, going field to field, getting these reps in. Adam Wainwright, Jordan Montgomery, and then two young guys, Gordon Graceffo and Michael McGreevy. Graceffo, the minor league pitcher of the year last season, McGreevy, first round draft pick in 2021, I want to say it was. Two guys that John Moselec said at winter warm-up as he was giving his little opening speech, opening monologue, if you will, said, we got some young guys that are going to be, you know, continuing to help out and grow. And then not even to mention the prospects that we have, prospects like Jordan Walker, Michael McGreevy, Gordon Graceffo. And we know what everybody thinks about Jordan Walker, right? People are pumped about him. And Mo put those guys, those two pitchers in the same sentence as Jordan Walker as guys that could help the team in the near future. When he was having that conversation, he wasn't talking about the five-year plan. He was talking about, let's win in 2023, and maybe later on in the season, you could you know, keep an eye on these guys because they could be here, I think is the impression that I got from that. So we get here to spring training, and what do we see? Ollie Marmel, with uh, some, some purpose to it, I would have to say, putting those guys together in a group. Putting those guys with Adam Wainwright, having them get the opportunity to sort of watch how he goes about his business. I like that. I like that. I asked Ollie about it this morning and here was his thought process on the whole thing. Oh, you talked, you talked yesterday about the benefit of having guys like Ozzy around. Sure. Kind of toward that end. What do you hope to see guys like Gordon and McGreevy pick up from Wayno in a situation like yesterday where they're following him around, going to groups with him, doing fielding drills. What can guys like that, young guys like that, pick up from an NMA? Yeah, how we structure our groups is, is obviously intentional. And uh, we um, we want to put Wayno with those guys for a reason and uh, allow even some of the mundane drills of just 
PFP and catching pop-ups yesterday, right? If you watch Wayno do it, there's a pause. Like he puts himself in a game scenario where he's checking runners, he's coming to complete hold. And if you see certain young guys go through it for the first time, um, they'll want to rush through that and just being able to to see how it's done by a veteran and do it the right way is, is why those guys are paired the way they are. And that's Cardinals manager Ollie Marmel on the pairing of Adam Wainwright along with a couple of young bucks in the Cardinals organization. Starting pitchers that, I mean, you could see them in the bullpen at some point this year. You could see them in the rotation at some point this year if they're performing well in AAA, which is probably where both of those guys could end up starting. They both pitched at AA last year. I could see maybe you start them at AA. I think the Cardinals also they might want to keep them both together. I think there's been intentionality behind that. Two guys that have come up together through Peoria. They talked to me today about how, you know, they both have risen through the ranks together and pitched at Springfield last year together. So Cardinals might want to end up keeping those dudes together for as long as they can. But I think you could say you could see either or both of them in St. Louis at some point this season. It's just going to depend on the need, I think, of the roster as to where that might be. But they also have to get through the the portion and the notion of we got to pitch well enough to earn that opportunity. And I think both of those guys are pushing to, to put themselves into that position to be considered. And uh, I'm intrigued. I talked to both of them today. Um, they said everything you'd expect them to say. I'm not going to play any clips uh, for today's episode because we're going a little long already. But just in terms of, you know, McGreevy talked about, you know, Wainwright's a guy you grow up watching and you idolize a guy who does his work the way that Adam Wainwright goes about doing it. And uh, it was a lot of fun to kind of follow those guys a little bit yesterday. You're out there on the backfields. And you kind of have to pick out, you know, what's important right now? What's going on that I, I want to keep an eye on? And, and Adam Wainwright, sort of in the the mentorship of two of the next generation, perhaps, of Cardinals pitchers, I thought was something that was pretty interesting. It was funny, too, to just watch Wainwright go through his drills. You had some of the Cardinals fans there on the backfields and uh, giving him some applause and things like that when he would make a nice play. And Wainwright would doff his cap and, you know, have a lot of fun with it. He was dancing around. He's doing Adam Wainwright stuff, right? But as uh, I talked to McGreevy about it, he said, you know, that's just kind of what he always does, right? But when he gets through those, between those white lines, he's a killer. And that is the the reputation that Wayno has, and I think rightfully so. He is, has built that through uh, years of dedication. But to be like a, a loose player and, and be able to show the young guys like, hey, you having fun can be part of this. It's supposed to be fun. You gotta you gotta strike that balance and, and I think Wainwright is a, a perfect example of a guy to be able to look up to. And so beyond all of the you know, having him on the field, having him on the mound every fifth day, having him back, maybe getting like the last ride treatment, which he says he doesn't want to begin with. So I don't really know how that's gonna go. But beyond all the obvious aspects of it, I think the leadership aspect of, hey, this is an extra year that guys like McGreevy or Graceffo can interact with Wainwright, if not just only at spring training, but maybe even during the season, depending on how well those guys advance. So I think that's pretty cool, a thing to see that uh, probably shouldn't be taken for granted. There is value on that, and I think the Cardinals understand clearly based on the way uh, Ollie Marmel is intentional about putting Wayno with those guys and seeing how, how those reactions uh, are put together. I like it a lot. Let me know your thoughts on that and what you think about these young players, Graceffo, McGreevy, I think Cardinals fans will, you know, for those who don't follow the prospects super closely, those are two names I think you want to at least keep an eye on this year. 
who could potentially get to St. Louis. Exciting times for the Cardinals. That is going to do it for this edition of B-Shape Daily. I appreciate you guys for joining me as always. More to come from Cardinals Camp on Friday. So make sure you stay tuned and locked and loaded on the channel. And one request, if you would leave a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, if that's what you use, I want to see those review numbers get up. It would mean a lot to me for you to do that. So thank you all so much, and we'll talk to you next time on B-Shape Daily. Peace.